Would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And uh, this morning we find ourselves at the end of, in some ways, a stewardship season. But let's be honest, stewardship season, season never really ends, right? We never just say, hey, we got three weeks to be good stewards. And then all of a sudden we can forget all the stewardship and we can live and do whatever we want, right? Stewardship season is January through December, 1st through the 31st, right? That we continue daily to be good stewards of all that God has blessed us with. I mean, just in the same way, we're not some days all in for Jesus and other days we dip our toe and dabble in other things, right? Right? right we're all in, right? And so stewardship season extends beyond this month that we set aside to look deeply at it. So let me read this and then let's just see where the Lord may take us this morning in dealing with stewarding of our treasure. 1 Timothy chapter 6 starting in verse 5 and we'll go through verse 10. Paul is talking about false teachers and those who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, and with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Lord, help us right now, Lord. Give us your insight. Give us your wisdom, not to learn more information, but to live differently outside of this place. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So let, let's take a, just a moment and do a, a quick glance backwards for a second. Uh, we've looked at stewarding our time, and thank you to Kenny for last week uh, filling in uh, for me. Uh, and we've looked at, over the course of this time, your commitment card has led you to explore individually and as a family your time, your talent, and your treasure. So how you doing? Have you had that time to sit down and explore in your own heart? H- have you made any adjustments based on your stewarding of your time? I know I glanced at my phone screen time and I can safely say that I am down 50% screen time from my sermon. I'm super proud, super proud. That means 50% more time looking at people. That's a big deal. 50% more time engaged in the world around me than on a screen flipping through in different ways. So I'm, I'm grateful that the Lord has demonstrated to me that there's areas in my life that I need to get myself up and out and looking forward. And so I pray as you have looked over stewarding your time your talent, and as we get to your treasure today, that this is not discussion that we just talk about in here and you say, that's pretty cool, and then you leave, and it's untransformative in your life. We pray that these are transforming moments that propel you out to say, Lord, what do I do now based on what I have read, based on what we've talked about, and what we've discussed? This is what we do in Bible fellowship. This is what we do in small groups. We don't go and fellowship and just say kumbaya. No, we say, Lord, what are you calling me to in the midst of your scripture that would lead me to live and respond differently? So I'd encourage you, if you've not yet had that opportunity to look at your commitment card in light of where you are with the Lord, and maybe today you would lay it on this altar afresh and anew and just say, Lord, I am all in. Well, let's look today at our specifically stewarding of our treasure. Excuse me, do you know, to to set this up a little bit, that the average American family today carries $6,000 in credit card debt? 
Meaning that average in this room, if we're an average American family, would carry $6,000 worth of credit card debt, meaning that there is a constant bit of worry on our shoulders that things may implode at any moment, that the tires could get punctured or that we could have a major repair and that would spiral us into all sorts of anxiety. You know from doing a variety of different counseling and reading research that financial struggles are one of the leading causes of divorce in America today. Then in 2018, the top 200 advertisers, just the top 200 advertisers in the United States, so the top 200 advertisers just in the United States spent $164 billion to tell you that what you have is not good enough, to get you to think that you needed to spend more and to dispel of what you've got to upgrade to something better. $164 billion to lead you to a pathway of discontentment. Scripture has 2,000 verses related to money, more than any other single topic in Scripture. According to Christianity Today, in the United States, only 5% of churchgoers make charitable contributions or give to kingdom work. Today, nationwide, Christians give just 2.5% of their income. And interestingly enough, During the Great Depression, that number was 3.5%. So even in the midst of the Great Depression, believers were giving 3.5%, which seems to be quite a small number. But even today, when we may be at the height of uh, affluence and wealth in the world, that number continues to dwindle. So with 2,000 verses related to giving and related to the stewardship of our money and finances, we would say the Lord speaks often to it. I want to reiterate in this stewardship season, my goal, my heartbeat is not for you to walk out of here and say, oh man, Mark told me I got to turn off my phone. My heart would be that you're not sitting at dinner with your wife to say, oh man, I guess I got to look at you now. My heart is not for you to be sitting around your living room to say, oh, I got to turn off my phone and actually look and talk to y'all. This is terrible. Oh, it's miserable. The same way my heart would not be for you to go home and to say, I guess I got to stroke this check and give it to the church. It would be better for you to keep the money. It would be better for you to continue looking at your phone. My heartbeat for us today is to not just simply give or not just to steward our time in a a way that would cause us to be more grumbly or more hate-filled or spite-filled at what God is calling us to do. My heartbeat would say, Lord, you have given me this stuff, this resource, this time and talent. And so I'm going to steward it in a way that would be honoring and pleasing to you. So hear me say, And I know there's some people who come into church and they hear this is the money talk and so think it's the money grab and so Mark's just gonna try to grab our money and so you automatically turn off from what's being spoken in the pulpit. But we see in scripture that 2,000 verses speak to the stewardship of our resources. You see right clearly in scripture when Paul writes to Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It has led to even those wandering away from the faith. And so in many ways, when we talk about money, the alarm bells begin to go off in some people's hearts. It's a a very touchy subject. And so here in my heart, I just want to be as clear as I can. My heart is not to say that I want you all to stroke checks today and leave here feeling guilty. My heart is to say, Lord, my time, my talent, and my treasure, they are not my own, so I want to use them for your kingdom advance. So let's dive into this together. Number one. 
you see from this passage of scripture that gain is found in godliness and contentment. Verse five, you see the false, false teachers that Paul is writing about who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Believing that the false teachers could say, if you would do this, if you would give this, if you would do all these types of things, then you would get great gain from it. Friends, we don't pursue godliness for earthly gain. We're not seeking after if we sow a seed into this ministry or this thing, then we expect to receive fivefold, tenfold, whatever we give, we expect to return it into our bank accounts. The false teachers are saying, sow this, give this, and you can even see this permeate American Christianity today that if you would just give this, then you would get it back in return, double, triple fold, whatever you sow into it. But what you see so clearly is that godliness is not a means of gain but look at verse 6 but godliness with contentment is a great gain and so we see a whole system of thinking that would say godliness plus gain would lead you to contentment that if I pursue the Lord and then if I get all the stuff that I need then I will be content so a whole system of thinking to say, if I can just get all this stuff, if I can get the godliness and if I can get the stuff, then I will be content. And, and maybe there's times that we feel like this. If I can just get the stuff, if I can pursue the godliness, then I will live in contentment. But what you see in scripture is contentment with godliness leads us to great gain. It leads us to be content in the Lord, to trust in the Lord, to be at peace with what the Lord is doing in and through us, not financial gain. It gives us great gain that comes from being on the bedrock of knowing Christ Jesus. We see Paul write about how difficult this is. It's where we get Philippians 4.13, again, not about winning football games, but about being content. That's why contentment is tough. You've got advertisers spending $164 billion to tell you to not be content. So this is extremely difficult and so when Paul would write I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me he's talking about being content in all situations impoverished and in wealth in sickness and in health that you would be content in everything so you see with Christ we are content in knowing what he's done and so often we would say if I can just get this then I would finally be this if I can just have this, if I can just get to this echelon, if I can just get this promotion, if I can just have this, then I will finally be this. Now, this is the dumbest example I can possibly give, but it's always soaked into my soul. That's always a good way to start an uh, illustration, right? And in 10th grade here at this church, uh, our church was leaving to go on choir tour, but I, for whatever reason, I can't remember why, was not able to go that particular year. And I was super bummed out. Now, all my friends, uh, I mean, I was here all the time at church and all my friends were going, I think they were going to Seattle and it was going to be an incredible trip and I was not able to go. And so I was bummed to the max. And so I did what any 10th grade boy would do. I went to Best Buy and I bought a PlayStation, right? Because I was going to ease my sorrows by eating pizza and drinking Mountain Dew and playing video games. That was how I was going to feel content because I was, I mean, I was deeply grieved. Brittany, who we'd been dating and all my best friends were going away to Seattle and I was going to be stuck at home with no friends and nothing to do. The first day, upstairs, playing video games. It's pretty nice. Oh, this is not so bad, right? I'm not thinking about them in Seattle having a good time. By the end of that first night, you begin to think, 
I said, I don't know this is worth it. It's $300 that I just spent on this PlayStation. It's not so fun anymore. And those same feelings of loneliness and despair and frustration began welling up in this thing that I thought, if I could just get this PlayStation, then I won't be sad anymore. And I know it's kind of silly, but in many ways, we do the same thing today. And that PlayStation is substituted for uh, just a range and a variety of things. If I can just get this comfort, if I can just have this affair, if I can just smoke this or drink this, then I'll finally be this. And you see, scripturally, contentment is an incredibly difficult thing to come to terms with. To be content and to trust in the Lord is a hard reality for believers, for unbelievers. So I see people chasing the next thing over and over, looking for the next thing in their life. And friends, can I tell you that there is no contentment other than knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And we need to continue on or I spend a lot of time there. But secondly, eternal perspective makes us a better steward of everything. Eternal perspective makes us a better steward. You see verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For verse seven, let this soak into your soul deeply this morning. For you, for I, brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Isn't that a sobering verse? As we looked at uh, the stewardship of our time and we talked about, Lord, teach us to number our days, to give us a heartbeat of wisdom. This verse does the same thing, that we brought nothing into this world and you will take nothing out. There's that old adage that there's never a U-Haul behind a hearse. This past week, I was watching some documentary or reading an article about the ancient Egyptians and how when they would bury their pharaohs, they would bury them with all sorts of stuff. Horses, donkeys, cattle, weapons of war, food and drink. Servants would be buried with them so they'd be prepared for the afterlife. All that stuff was long ago looted, robbed, and worn out. Friends, recognize that when we have an eternal perspective, it makes us a better steward of everything every single thing to recognize your house is not going with you. Your phone, your car, your money, your job title will be irrelevant in heaven. And so look and hold your stuff so much less loosely, tightly than what we currently do to say, Lord, this is all yours. It's gonna be yours anyway when I pass once. Lord, let me be a good steward of all that is. And then let's look, number three, look at where the problem lies. Let me be clear. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Man, that's a hard reality. With food and clothing, with these we will be content. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Man, I don't even need to elaborate on Scripture. I mean, that's just as clear as it can possibly be. That money itself is not evil, but you see that those who desire to be rich fall into this temptation, into snares, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Again, you see there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, nothing wrong with money, but we have to use it and steward it in a wise way. Because you get to verse 10. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Interestingly, it's this love that is the craving that has had some to wander away from the faith and pierce themselves with many a pang. You find it interesting that it says the love of money 
it would pierce yourself with many pangs. Almost as if this pursuit, this snare that we follow to try to get more money, to try to achieve more wealth and status, it's almost like we continue to stab ourselves and wonder why we're so broken. It says the craving, some have wandered away from the faith. It's almost like the pursuit of money for some has become the exit ramp of the faith. And so I hope that this sobers us up to see the reality that the pursuit of money for many can be the exit ramp of faith. So let me give you three questions to ask yourself that if you've heard yourself saying that maybe this could be an issue. If you say something like the answer to all of my problems is more money. If you were to say I would be content if I just had more money. And if you were to deeply look at your own soul and say my self-worth is tied to my income or my bank account. We have to be careful. We have to see the warning bells that scripture gives us that the desire to be rich, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil that are irrelated to greed and lust. It's related to so many different things that would even have people on the exit ramp of their faith in the pursuit of money. Number four, a wise steward recognizes where it all comes from. As we walk into this season of stewardship and into this Thanksgiving season, I can think of no better anecdote to all the ills of the pursuit of money than a grateful heart that would say, Lord, you have given me this time, you have given me this talent, you have given me this treasure. Lord, thank you, first and foremost. We want to be found faithful with it. And as we have an honest evaluation of our time, talent, and treasure, you simply say, Lord, I am opening my door to you, to whatever you would have. And I want to leave you this morning as we come to the conclusion in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, that Pam and Pam read just a moment ago. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And as a church, as individuals, I don't want to sow sparingly. I mean, parents, do you want to sow sparingly into your kids? Do you want to give them just a, a crumbs from your table? Do you want to give them a little of your knowledge and wisdom? Do you just want to give a little bit to your children? Do you want to give a little of your time, talent, and treasure to the Lord? No, we sow bountifully so that we will reap bountifully the fruit of what the Lord is doing. Each one, listen closely, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. A giver that is reminded of where it all comes from. A giver that would say, Lord, it's yours anyway, so I'm going to lovingly give. Not one that would say, oh yeah, I'm supposed to pay attention. But one that would say, oh Lord, thank you. One that would be reminded that all of our sins have been taken away. All of our debt has been paid in full. So we say, Lord, yes, whatever, however, it's yours. Verse 11 would finish. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us produces thanksgiving to God. That's our prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. Help us to be more thankful. Lord, help us to be more wise with all that you have done. Lord, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found faithful of all that you have done. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.